A word before we get started with today's episode of NTM Talk. While it may go without saying, it's important to remember that the views expressed in this podcast are the opinions of the participants and should not be construed as medical advice. If you have questions about your own diagnosis or treatment, please contact your medical provider. Hello, and welcome to another episode of NTM Talk, where we have in-depth discussions on non-tuberculous mycobacterial lung disease and bronchiectasis. I'm Dr. Colin Swenson. And I'm Dr. Wendy Drummond. And today we're going to pick up right where we left off on last week's episode, where we were answering your questions that you've submitted to us over the last six months or so. This leads to another question, this one uh, from listener Diane, who says, I have recently been diagnosed with MAC based on my CAT scan, which led to a bronchoscopy that showed MAC in the bronchoscopy sample. I have few symptoms, shortness of breath that has gotten worse in the past few months, but is not severe, and mostly thro- throat clearing, not as much coughing. Both my pulmonologist and infectious disease doctor recommend antibiotics. I'm just wondering if you think it is warranted with such mild symptoms. Yeah, this is uh, this is a great question, and and I know that we've talked about this in prior episodes, but separate episodes, right? We probably talked about it in NTN and bronchiectasis, and this really brings it all together in thinking about okay, in in our evaluation of our individual patients, you know, who is that patient that we're going to feel very strongly about treating? And we've talked about the big three, you know, you need to have some compatible clinical symptoms or, you know, relevant clinical symptoms, compatible radiographic findings, and the supporting microbiology, whether it's, you know, several positive sputums or bronchoscopy plus sputums, or, you know, uh, even in some patients where a a nodule has been biopsied. And a lot of this also has to do with quality of life, pulmonary function tests, and assessment for other underlying causes for the mild symptoms. Okay. So, so that's another aspect to this is that, you know, is the bronchiectasis being effectively treated? Does our patient have an underlying pulmonary aspiration syndrome that we need to really address the risks associated with reflux and, and, or an abnormal swallow? Now, um, then it comes back to, okay, an individual patient does have symptoms. They have a, a CT scan that certainly supports a diagnosis of MAC, and they have a, multiple positive sputums and or bronch that's positive. At that point, it's really a discussion with the patient to say, are you prepared to to undergo treatment? You know, there, there has to be a willingness, right? I mean- Yeah, there absolutely there does. There absolutely does. And there also has to be the ability- um, I've had some patients in this last year struggling with homelessness, um, very unstable housing situations, hopping from place to place. You know, there there can be a lot of different factors. And I know that that's a more extreme example. I I absolutely acknowledge that. But but I, I raise this point to say there are some times where maybe it's not even safe for that patient to start them on treatment at that time because they can't take the medications consistently. And that's unsafe because you can potentiate the development of resistance or they can't mm-hmm. have the necessary monitoring that they need to have, you know, where, um, where they need to have routine labs done and visual exams and, and those types of things. So it's always a very individual decision to make with the patient, um, and acknowledging that, well, with those mild symptoms, maybe we can watch a little bit, but if we're seeing radiographic 
progression or your symptoms worsen, then we immediately need to reassess. Or, you know, if you're smear positive on your next sputum, because a decision, and I've said this before, a decision not to treat is a treatment decision. And it's one that we take very seriously. So that means Diane might need much closer follow-up if she opts not to get treated right now. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what I what I uh, said to Diane as well. Is that a lot of it depends, as you say, Wendy, on on the CAT scan. It depends on on if there are other causes of her symptoms. Uh, she mentioned oh, the frequent uh, throat clearing. Is there potentially reflux? Yep. You know, if 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 she's growing MAC, that that reflux is is certainly very much a possibility. And and is there some other cause of the of the mild breathlessness? At this point, I would say it sounds Diane as though there, you have some time to sort of uh, think this through before jumping into treatment. I will say that uh, the 2020 guidelines, and we covered this in a prior episode, does place more of an emphasis on early treatment rather than watchful waiting, particularly if the patient has more advanced CAT scan findings. So again, I don't know, Diane, about your CAT scan or how severe the findings are, or or certain other factors, such as Smear if, positivity. If sputum, exactly. If your sputum is is smear positive, if you're on, on, on treatment for, say, rheumatoid arthritis with one of the biologics that we mentioned, um, if you're very well, uh, if you're very poorly nourished or have other sort of immune suppression. So there are a number of other categories that we look at in, in trying to make that decision of whether or not to embark on treatment. So this is something that I definitely recommend that you talk with your uh, both your pulmonologist as well as your infectious disease doctor in more detail. And uh, it's funny because when you were reading the question, one thing that really jumped out at me was the throat clearing. And I'm really, really glad that you, mm-hmm. you circled back around to that because um, it's something I'll observe a patient doing in clinic right? They'll, yep. they'll be clearing their throat. And it turns out that cough is not really their dominant problem. It's really a lot of throat clearing. And as Colin mentioned, that's a real, it's, that's like waving red in front of a bowl. You know, it's, it's a real red flag that you, you could have a, a silent pulmonary aspiration syndrome that's creating re- recurrent episodes of reflux, maybe when you're sleeping, um, a lot of, a lot of different scenarios there, but that really needs to be addressed. And, and we know that the, the mycobacteria live in the stomach and the gastric contents. And if you're avidly reflexing into your airways, that's how you might be introducing the mycobacteria. So that's, that's why I initially mentioned that we really need to address all of those other things first before starting treatment in a patient with mild symptoms, because it might be that those mild symptoms resolve with management of the reflux and treatment of the bronchiectasis with airway clearance, then we closely follow those sputums. A lot of times those sputums will revert to negative. Yep, they sure will. And the other thing to keep in mind is that just because let's say you do have you do have gastroesophageal reflux disease and you're treated with a proton pump inhibitor, that does not prevent reflux. And in fact, it may cause the MAC to be a little bit more prolific down in your gastric contents. And so uh, so so uh, acid suppression, particularly with proton pump inhibitors, does not mean that you're that you do not have uh, esophageal reflux, and so that's always important to keep in mind. And we're going to have a whole episode dedicated to this really important topic. Yes, yes, we're, we'll we'll run through our, our upcoming teaser episodes at the at the end of this episode. Sure. Um, but but like Colin said, the 
the proton pump inhibitors are basically um, neutralizing that acid production. So it, it helps with symptomatic reflux like heartburn or water brash where you get that, um, you know, burning in the back of your throat, but it, it doesn't address the underlying dynamic process of reflux of the gastric contents up into the esophagus, especially no. if it's high grade. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Now, I, I, I have a question that, that I'll, I will take, Wendy. It, it is uh, from a listener who asked a really good question. I had a pulmonary function test that showed that I have obstruction. Is this COPD? I have bronchiectasis, but have never smoked. Should I have another test in the future? And if so, what should I be watching out for? So this is a, a question I get asked a lot as a pulmonologist in clinic. So many of my patients with bronchiectasis, uh, despite having never smoked, uh, carry a diagnosis of COPD, are treated as such with COPD. And unfortunately, as we've talked about in prior episodes, some of those treatments actually are sort of a setup for NTM infection, um, including inhaled corticosteroids and, and certain inhaled drying agents. And so, uh, no, it does not necessarily mean you have COPD. When we talk about COPD as a pulmonologist, we usually are referring to tobacco or smoke-related obstructive airways disease. The way we classify uh, breathing patterns, particularly pathologic breathing patterns in clinic when looking at a pulmonary function test, is two broad categories. You have obstruction and you have restriction. We're not going to get into restriction uh, in this podcast. But obstruction is sort of an umbrella term. And what that means is you have trouble getting the air out of your lungs. And the reason that's an issue is because you can develop dynamic hyperinflation, particularly when you exercise. Everybody breathes faster when they exercise. If you're not able to get that breath out, then you end up uh, sort of stacking the breaths. You literally run out of space. And that can, of course, cause very shallow breathing and, uh, and breathlessness with exertion. Um, there are a couple of causes of this obstruction. So COPD is certainly one of them. And when we think about COPD, one of the types we see is emphysema, which uh, some of our listeners either may have or may have heard of. There's also asthma. Asthma is another cause of, uh, of an obstructive breathing pattern. And there's also, however, bronchiectasis. So bronchiectasis is well known to cause an obstructive pattern. Um, it is not uh, the same as COPD. COPD would be treated differently. And so if you've never smoked, I would say to this listener, you probably do not have chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. Of course, I'm not sure what your secondhand smoke exposure was or whether you uh, have any other other environmental exposures that could have predisposed uh, this to you. But it sounds to me as though you probably have bronchiectasis-related obstruction. That was beautiful. <laughs> okay. For, for, for once, Wendy doesn't have much to add. I do have something to add. Okay. Darn, I missed something. I know you didn't miss anything. I just was thinking back, um, you know, a lot of what once people start listening to season two, you know, our, our second episode, I think of season one was bronchiectasis and it may seem like a long time ago to people. And I think it's always helpful to revisit some of these concepts, but, you know, in patients with bronchiectasis who've never smoked, and this is, um, probably one of the most common situations in our, um, our females over the age of 65, mm -hmm, right. Mm -hmm. they, you know, but 
I don't necessarily think we ever need to put people in that idiopathic bucket. Idiopathic mean, really meaning we don't know why you have bronchiectasis. I mean, Colin and I are always going to do our due diligence, even if someone's referred to us from another practice, to review what evaluation has been done for bronchiectasis before they show up in our office, and do we need to do any additional evaluation. If I have a patient who's never smoked, who has bronchiectasis and emphysema, you know, that's always a little bit of a red flag mm-hmm, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but just so everyone knows that part of our, our basic evaluation for secondary disease associations with bronchiectasis is, is ordering something called an alpha-1 antitrypsin. I, let me say this differently. Alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency is a disease process that can be associated with this. So we're going to order an alpha-1 antitrypsin level. And mm-hmm, that's just part of mm-hmm. a standard evaluation. And in addition to other things like looking for autoimmune disease and quantitative immune globulins. And we've or or, sar- or, or sarcoidosis. sarcoidosis um, right. So we, we see a number of patients who develop both bronchiectasis as well as emphysema, uh, or at least emphysematous changes on their CAT scan, despite never having smoked, um, if they have underlying sarcoidosis. And so that's always an ent- entity that we, uh, we we want to exclude as well. Right. So um, that that's all. That's all I wanted to add. <laughs> okay. Okay. That was, that was a very valuable addition. Okay. So I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, uh, a listener, Faye, asked a really good question. And I think that that's going to be a really nice dovetail into our teaser, as you say, uh, talk about upcoming episodes. But Faye wants to know, I'm looking forward to an episode discussing nutrition. Please tell me that you are planning this. We are definitely planning this. So, um, oh, yes, yes, yes. Oh, yes. Faye, Faye, don't you worry. We've got it we covered. We do. Um, so I will tell you that it, um, almost 100% of the patients that I see in my clinic, I, I ultimately convince them to, to see a nutritionist. A lot of people are reluctant in the beginning, but I, I think there are huge benefits to this. Part of this is because a lot of our patients are losing weight as a consequence of chronic pulmonary disease and or superimposed NTM lung disease, MAC lung disease. Um, some patients, especially in the, and not, not all, I, th- I would say a very small subset, as they're adjusting to their antibiotics, they may have a, a decrease in appetite. So we want to support, um, support their nutrition. We certainly don't want people losing weight while on treatment. Although the vast majority of people who were losing weight prior to starting to treatment eventually regain that weight because they're, we're finally treating the infection. And then I think it's important because a lot of our patients do have reflux. We've talked about reflux a lot this episode. I'm so happy. Sure have, sure have. And and so then you're balancing, you know, certain aspects to, um, I wouldn't say dietary limitations with reflux, but there are certain modifications that we do suggest our patients make to their eating habits. Um, and, and sometimes uh, they're their diet in general to try to limit the impact or try to decrease the impact of certain foods on that lower esophageal sphincter. Um, so that's where nutrition really comes in and really helpful for our patients who may be struggling with different aspects of their disease processes. Absolutely. The the reflux, we're going to do an episode dedicated to that. We're going to do certainly an episode, uh, as we mentioned, dedicated to nutrition. 
Um, we've had a lot of questions also about airway clearance. Now, we did a prior episode on airway clearance. We will absolutely be revisiting that in another episode. We also have uh, some some uh, some time dedicated to abscessus. We've sort of mentioned abs- mycobacterium abscessus a number of times, but we'll get into a little bit more detail on that. And Wendy... Two episodes, actually. Two, two episodes. episodes. Yeah. And what, what else do we <laughs> yes, have to look Two episodes. To? Uh, we're going to have a, an episode dedicated to, um, I'm going to say behavioral health, but a lot of this is the, the psychological and, and behavioral health impacts of having any type of chronic disease, whether it's chronic lung disease or chronic infection. We have one of my uh, former colleagues at National mm, Jewish, mm-hmm. Dr. Fred Wombolt, who's going to be joining us for an interview. Um, so I think that that's going to be really fantastic. Uh, we also have an episode about consideration of or the role of surgery in some of our patients oh, yes, who have more severe yes. bronchiectasis or maybe cavitary lung disease. So we'll have a whole episode dedicated to that. Um, and then I think I already referenced um, NTM and immunosuppression. Yep. Oh, and COVID. Ah, uh, yes. Been- <laughs> yes. Yes, we've COVID. gotten. Yeah, I know that there's a little bit of COVID fatigue, but of course, Wendy, just like you, I've received a lot of questions from patients with NTM and bronchiectasis about uh, about COVID, and especially uh, COVID in patients with uh, with those two disease entities. And I know um, a lot of people have a lot of questions about immunizations, uh, what long-term immunity, uh, what happens if you you have underlying immunosuppression, do you generate a good immune response to the vaccine? So I think that there's a, a lot of hot topics here to be addressed. And, and one thing I, I would really appeal to those of you, since this is, I think, going to be our second episode of this season, we would love for you to, to uh, or I'm going to say we, the, the royal we here, but but definitely me. Um, I, I would love for you to submit questions that you specifically have about COVID because it's such a broad topic. Mm-hmm. And we really want to make sure that we're answering the questions that you have about this. There's there's things that I think I know I want to talk about and, and Colin's certainly thinking about it from a pulmonary perspective, but we certainly want to ask the questions that you actually have. Or yep. answer the questions that you actually have. Sorry. Yep. So please, please send them to the to the website to our email. Um, I'm Colin at ntmtalk.com. Wendy is Wendy at ntmtalk.com. So please send us your questions. Uh, you can also submit them through the website as well. And Wendy, I promised that uh, I would give you the honors when ending our second episode. You did. I did. What are my I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say it. What? That's a wrap. Oh I can't believe <laughs> I forgot that. Oh and I wanna say Wendy with an I for those of you who who are sending sending me Ah, uh, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Wendy Wendy. Yes. Oh that's a wrap. <laughs> Too late. You'll have to do it the next <laughs> You'll have to do it the next episode. Oh my God, I'm so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> well, remember that if you have any questions about today's episode or any questions about NTM or bronchiectasis in general, you can always reach us at our website, ntmtalk.com, where you can also stream our past episodes and leave your comments. You can also find helpful links and resources on NTM and bronchiectasis. So until we meet again next week, everyone, stay well. Bye. Okay.